Hello, all you good people on the other side of the pond. This is Tony Campolo. I'm here alone today. Shane Claiborne is not sharing the show. He's away today. Uh, the name of this show is From Across the Pond. Uh, it's named that because uh, we put it together uh, here on the east coast of the United States. We use the studios of Cabrini University, which is right across the street from uh, Eastern University, where I taught for some 40 years and where Shane Claiborne, my usual co-host, uh, graduated. We, we are great fans of Eastern University, a uh, Christian university that tries to articulate the values of the Christian faith in the context of a solid academic program. We have majors in just about everything, so if you're looking for a good school, uh, Eastern's the place to consider, just outside of Philadelphia in St. David's, Pennsylvania. My guest today is a man that I've known for several years. He's uh, one of America's prominent journalists, Mort Krim. I asked the young guy that's working the machinery right here, do you know Mort Krim? He said, you know, I'm not sure I do. It's a generational thing. Mort Krim would have been known to everybody in America uh, about a decade ago because he was all over American Broadcasting Corporation's network. He was doing shows constantly. He was the fill-in for uh, Paul Harvey, who had a very famous show uh, here in the United States. Um, he, he did small vignettes on positive things uh, that were going on in America and around the world. He was an upbeat voice, and it's not surprising. He comes out of a Christian commitment. He's on the board of trustees of Anderson University, and another Christian liberal arts college, or shall I say university, which just sits outside of, uh, what shall I say, Indianapolis, about, 20, about 50 miles north of Indianapolis. But right now, I welcome Mort Krim to the show. Welcome, Mort. Good morning, Tony. Nice to be with you. Yes. Now, Tell me about your emphasis as a broadcaster. You had a different feel when I listened to you on national radio. You had a different emphasis than most people that I heard uh, coming across the airwaves. Could you give us a little bit about your philosophy of broadcasting? Well, working as a journalist in American uh, radio and television for many, many years, over four decades, I recognized that most of the news, most of what we call news and present to the public as news is negative. You know, if, uh, if, if, if 5,000 airplanes take off and land safely, that's not news. But if one crashes, that's news. Uh, it's the old man bite do- bites dog. It's, uh, it's the unusual. And the unusual, fortunately, happens to be uh, the more sad or tragic events, because usually on a day-to-day basis, for most of us, life is pretty normal. And we get up, we shave, we dress, we go to work, we go to school, we go to the office. Uh, but when something bad happens, that's news. And it seemed to me that giving people a steady diet of these negative stories not only distorted our concept of reality, but it was psychologically unhealthy for us. And I thought there are so many good things going on in the world, people doing good things, people uh, trying to improve life for others. Uh, And some of these are really interesting stories. Some of them are compelling. Some of them are dramatic. And so I made it uh, back when I was anchoring television news uh, to end my show every night with a positive story that left people 
after they had gone through all of the tragedies and the negative things uh, that that are real and that are happening, but that would give them a little different perspective, and and they would be able to to say, yeah, there are still good people in the world doing good things. You know, and I built a national radio syndicated show on that on that philosophy called Second Thoughts, and uh, I would find uh, these good stories and and tell them. Well, you're talking to one of your avid listeners from those days and uh, look forward to getting your positive spin on events across the United States and around the world. Uh, just as a kind of side note, uh, what the news does to us, um, sociologists will point out to you the crime in American cities has gone down every year for the last 15 years. People find that impossible to believe. Uh, You're saying that there's less crime, less violence, less murders going on in cities today than was the case 15 years ago? The statistics will bear that out. Uh, The statistics will verify that. You'd never know it because you pick up the newspaper and somebody's been shot. You turn on the television. There's some tragedy of a family. And uh, we need more voices that say, yes, these things are going on, but let's remember a lot of good things are going on. You were famous for telling good stories. I, I hate to put you on the spot. Could you give me one of your favorite uh, wrap-up stories right now so that our listeners could get a little taste of the kind of thing that you did on the air? Oh, boy, Tony, you are putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you've done 100,000 of them, it's hard to figure out one, isn't it? Yeah, there have been so many uh, um one of the things uh, I told a story about growing up uh, with parents who uh, my father was a, was a clergyman and uh, he was a very positive guy. Um, I always tell columnists when I'm being interviewed about about my life story that I started on the road to optimism based on a on a, my grandmother used to have these things we called mottos hanging in her living room and they were pretty garish if you're if you're an interior decorator you would be appalled by these they were i can remember they were about uh maybe five by seven inches maybe a little larger than that on a velvet background kind of looked like these old elvis presley uh, oh yeah uh, you know that to put the black light on i got gotcha. you and they were they had lettering in silver against this blue velour background but the one, and I was only five years old when I had to ask my grandmother because I couldn't read it. And I said, what, what is that and what does it say? And she said, it says, all things work together for good to those who love God. So I grew up in an environment where uh, if you did the right thing, as General, uh, I think it was Stonewall Jackson, who said, do your best and leave the rest to providence. I grew up in, in an environment that taught me, uh, both by word and example, that my only responsibility was to do my best and leave the rest to God. And that was an incredible gift of optimism. Uh, one of the stories that I, that I told on the air was how my parents uh, provided me with an appreciation of fantasy. Uh, they understood the value of daydreaming, of imagination, of wishful thinking. And when I was four years old, I remember I had a cadre of imaginary friends. And to this day, I can, rem- I can remember two of their names, Ollie and Doc. And Ollie and Doc went with me everywhere. And uh, at one time, uh, I remember we went into a store and I told my mother, you shut the door too soon. You slammed it on Doc and he's still outside. 
Well, instead of trying to explain that Doc was just a figment of a child's imagination, my mother dutifully walked back and opened the door and held it long enough for this make-believe friend uh, to join us. And that was a gift, uh, the fact that my parents encouraged imagination, because the more we can imagine, the more we can do. And they always told me, uh, and I guess many parents tell their children this, unfortunately, there are many parents who don't. But my parents said, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to go. Your your future is only limited by your imagination and your ability to dream and to, and to think. And that was another reason I, I like to tell these positive stories, because I think I, I believe in that. I believe in that in that philosophy. I have a poster hanging in my office, which has uh, uh, the image of Albert Einstein and a quote of his which is this, imagination is more important than knowledge. Albert Einstein, imagination is more important than knowledge. And uh, the reality is that when you begin to try to understand Einstein's theories, the theory of relativity, his theory of gravity, uh, I mean, when you begin to read uh, some of the things that he wrote, you say, I'm not sure I understand these things. And he said over and over again, don't try to understand in an intellectual way. Just imagine an incredible world that seeks beyond the facts and the figures. Those who are limited by facts and figures are far too limited. The imagination carries us to final truth. Indeed, you're a a committed Christian over the years. Uh, Your father was a was a, a clergyman. Uh, you're, you have twin brothers, I think, who were both ministers. Isn't that true? And no, it, my father my, uh, my father was a twin brother, and both of them were ministers. Oh, uh, that's where the twins come in. And you had an aunt that was a medical missionary. Is that right? Yes, she was. She was uh, orphaned. She and my mother, her sister, they were orphaned at an early age. And my mother said that uh, her her sister, Vera, who was a couple of years older than her, Mother said, I can remember from the time she was a child saying that she wanted to be a missionary and go help the people in Africa. And they had no money, so I can remember my aunt working as a beautician. She got her beautician's license, and a funny little sidebar here, uh, when I was 11 years old, she she gave me a permanent, which was uh, practicing her, her craft, and, um, of course, that uh, I took a lot of teasing at school. When I went in one day, I'd had straight hair, and the next day I had curls all over my hair. <laughs> but my Aunt Vera worked her way through uh, college and nurses' training um, as a beautician so that she could fulfill her lifelong dream of going to Africa. She ended up spending 15 years in Kenya. Uh, doing a lot of things that in this country only doctors do uh, because of, of the tremendous need. She even she said, I worked on teeth. I pulled teeth and, and uh, because there was nobody else to do it. Uh-huh. But, uh, yes, uh, I come from a family of people who grew up with a sense that uh, we owe something and uh, we have to give back. Yeah. And life is not a, a joke. It uh, It's serious. And. Uh, and we have a responsibility to uh, to leave the world in the old cliche better than we found it. Uh, the uh, kind of Christianity you're talking about is the kind of Christianity the world is looking for. Uh, they're tired of evangelicals like myself uh, 
getting people to do what's right because they're afraid of being punished. If you don't do the right thing, you will go to hell and burn forever. You know, thundering from the pulpit, uh, repent lest you go uh, to the bottomless pit. Uh, in the words of uh, the famous American preacher of another generation, uh, Jonathan Edwards. On the other hand, your whole philosophy and uh, evidently the philosophy of your uh, family has been do the right thing out of gratitude for what God has done for you. God has blessed you in so many ways. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Gratitude becomes the motivation for moral thinking rather than fear of punishment. Is that a fair evaluation of where you come from? I think it is, Tony, and when you use the word gratitude, you that you unlock the key uh, to my own theology and philosophy of life. Um, I, I just refuse to, to get down in the weeds of, uh, of theological technicalities and discussions, uh, all of which lead to dissension, because we're each given brains, and we can take Scripture— just as the Muslims can, you know, they can take the Koran and and believe that it authorizes them to get up, to blow up an airplane and and take down a building, or they can read the Koran. As many of my uh, Islamic friends in Detroit, uh, I had many a, a, a Muslim imam who was one of my best friends. We served on the Interfaith Council together. His reading of the Koran was much different, uh, and it it compelled him to service. It compelled him to acceptance of other people. Um, and and I find I, I remember after the, uh, uh, the the twin trade towers were brought down, and I was talking to our mutual friend Bill Gaither, and he made an interesting comment to me. He said, "Mort," he said, "a fundamentalist is a fundamentalist is a fundamentalist. I don't care whether they're Islamic or Christian or any other brand." And I, I think what he was saying was, and I totally agree with it that we can get so tied up in our own interpretations of our scriptures, whatever those scriptures are, that it becomes divisive. And and there is a lack of humility in that. It says, I understand this, I know this, and you don't. I'm in, and you're out. Yes. And I go back to the to the basic biblical concept that God is love. And I think if that's the God that we accept and that we worship and that we try to serve, then it moves us past all of these uh, divisive things which so easily come when we arrogantly assume that we know it and we have it. We have, quote, the truth. You know, uh, a young man that I heard preach not too long ago said, whenever we draw a line and push certain people on the other side of that line, uh, be they gay or lesbian or transsexual, be they Muslim, uh, be they Jewish people, whenever we draw a line and push some people on the other side of that line, you can be sure of one thing, this young man said, Jesus is on the other side of the line with them. What a powerful yeah. statement. <laughs> and if you read the life of Christ, yeah. that's exactly the case. The uh, uh, religious community in his day were pushing people on the other side of a line, be they Samaritans, be it the woman caught in adultery, uh, be it uh, Zacchaeus, uh, the little tax collector, uh, pushing people on the other side of the line saying, we're on the right side, you're on the wrong side. And uh, this young man said, Jesus is always on the other side of the line with them. 
He came to seek and to save the lost. And those who think they're on the right side of the line need to take another look at themselves. If you think you're righteous, said Jesus, you're in more need of curing than anybody else. The publicans and the sinners will enter into heaven before you do. They're the words of Jesus. They're not mine. Uh, now, you, uh, you, went to, uh, you went to Anderson University, a very uh, prominent university these days. It's doing quite well. Uh, and you met uh, Bill Gaither there. Tell me about your relationship with Bill over the years. Actually, Tony, Bill and I were in college together. So I, you know, I met him uh, uh, very early on, and we were both quite young. Uh, at that time, it was the Bill Gaither trio, and he and his uh, and his brother Danny and his sister uh, had the trio. And uh, he would he would buy uh, pay to have his records pressed by uh, RCA or somebody. Um, and then he would go around on weekends, the trio would, to churches, and they would sing and do concerts and, and sell his records. And that's kind of the way they supported themselves. And I was working at a little radio station, uh, WCBC, in Anderson, Indiana. And so I would play Bill's records uh, whenever I had an opportunity and, and plug them, plug his concerts. And uh, I often tell him, uh, tongue-in-cheek, that uh, he owes everything he is and has become to uh, to me and WCBC <laughs> and spinning those records. Well, you got to start somewhere. You got to start. And, somewhere. and uh, Rini was my wife was in uh, was in college also with Gloria, and mm-hmm. so it's it's been a lifelong friendship, and I think it's developed and matured in recent years. Uh, you know, during your career years, you get pretty busy and pretty tied up, but now, uh, of course, Bill's never going to retire, and I'm kind of semi-retired. But we've had more time in recent years to uh, to kind of reconnect at some deeper levels. And uh, uh, I consider Bill one of my very closest friends these days. Well, he's, uh, his music, uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither, uh, have written music that's going to live way beyond their years. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the Easter hymn, uh, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. I mean, people around the world sing that song at Easter Sunday. Uh, what a great piece of music he created. I'm talking to Mort you know, Krim. I, I, uh, Tony, I, I, I told Bill one time, we were, my wife and I were vacationing in the Bahamas, and uh, it happened to be there on an Easter Sunday, and we found this little, I mean little, frame church, and uh, we went there uh, for Easter Sunday morning service. And uh, they were very, very casual. You know, you've heard about island time. Yeah. Well, they were definitely on island time. So uh, 11 o'clock came and 11.10, and by 11.15, a few choir members were starting to wander in. And I think they got the service started about 12.30 or 11.30. And uh, then when it came time for the choir to sing, and they had a, they had a drummer and cymbals and uh, musicians were not very good. The choir was not very good. But they all stood and they sang, Because He Lives. And I called Bill when I got back and I said, Bill, I said, I just heard the most awful version and at the same time, the most beautiful version of Because He Lives that I've ever heard. The sincerity and the the feeling that those people brought uh, in that little church uh, was something I'll remember for the rest of my life. We're talking today... Uh, to Mort Krim, one of the more famous uh, radio personalities and television personalities across the United States. Uh, 
if you're young, uh, like under under 20 years of age or under 25, you may not know the name Mort Krim. But if I gather together a group of 25 plus years uh, people, they would all know the name Mort Krim. His name had become a household word to people who listened to radio and television uh, just 25 years ago. Uh, he's our Tony, guest today. Tony, I, I, I've got to correct you just a little bit. I think you'd have to go 40 and above. <laughs> oh, <okay. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you but go. You're very kind. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, you're, you're very much a part of my life as I was listening to you. Uh, you were an anchor uh, here in Philadelphia uh, for many years, and uh, we would listen to you with great regularity because you not only had good things to say, but you said them so well. Uh, Mort, we're living in troubled times. Um, politically, we're living in troubled times. And uh, uh, the evangelical community has married the religious right, uh, has married the Republican right wing. Not, uh, there's nothing wrong with the Republicans, but the extreme right wing of the Republican Party. And uh, they are in love with Donald Trump. Uh, what is your reaction to the whole syndrome of white evangelicals, uh, 82% of them voting for uh, Donald Trump? Uh, what is your reaction to all of that? I've just read a couple of books uh, that shed an awful lot of uh, interesting light. One is called The Immoral Majority, and the other one that I'm now uh, finishing up is called The Evangelicals. And it sheds a lot of light into the psychology of that I think, uh, without generalizing too much, and obviously there are all kinds of reasons for, for different groups and different people as to why they support the current president, but I think one of the things is that the evangelicals have felt, many of them, uh, have felt disrespected, have felt that their views were not heard, um, and here comes a man who, with all of his personal flaws, and uh, the evangel evangelicals would say all of his sinning, uh, has has been willing to carry their banner. And so I think they have been blinded by the prospect of a power and a respect that they felt they had been denied. And so they're willing to overlook all the things that many of us would consider uh, basic, basic standards of decency uh, and respect, and all the things that, that seem to typify followers of Jesus and Jesus' own message and personality and philosophy. He seems to be the antithesis of all of that, and yet they rally around him because he says, I'll get it done for you. And I, I think there's danger in that. I think it's unfortunate, but I, I, I'm beginning to understand some of the psychology behind it. Yeah. Well, there is a psychology behind it. The truth is that uh, uh, evangelicals have always uh, seen themselves as a persecuted minority, even though they're anything but that. They see themselves as a persecuted minority, and all of a sudden there's a president who cheers them on and says, I'm with you, and on issues like abortion, uh, stands very, very much in the direction of a pro-life um, mentality. And uh, he may be hard on poor people. He may, in fact, say things that African Americans may deem to be racist. He may, in fact, be saying things that women say are sexist, but the evangelicals say He's on our side on the important issues of our day. Uh, given that reality, as you're saying, it's not surprising that they should flock to the polls to vote for him. 
I've been talking to Mort Krim, who is not only a, an outstanding man, uh, whether he's on the air or off the air, uh, but he's a friend of mine. And I, I always appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak to him, to share with him. And uh, we're on the air today with Mort Krim, and this uh, show uh, promotes what we call Red Letter Christianity. Go to the website, redletterchristians.org, redletterchristians.org. Uh, find out about this movement. There's a place where you can put your name in. You can sign on as a Red Letter Christian. And we're people who are saying it's one thing to be orthodox. Orthodoxy is important, but orthopraxis is also important. You say, what is orthodoxy and what is orthopraxis? Orthodoxy is believing the right things. Orthopraxis is doing the things that Jesus calls us to do. Jesus said, you are my disciples if you do whatsoever I command you. What Jesus calls us to do is radical. It's dangerous. And yet, this is what the world needs in a society that is overly confused with conflicting views and conflicting judgments. Mort, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Uh, You always lift my spirits. Just hearing your voice takes me back to good days. God bless you, and thanks for being my guest today. Thank you, Tony. Well, blessings on you, and to all of you on the other side of the pond, have a good day, and thank you for listening to Mort Grimm and listening to this show from across the pond.